You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Heart of Jesus, we let Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, drive us to Scripture, where we discover who Jesus truly is. All right, if you look at, with me, we're going to look at uh, a section of John chapter 6 this morning, if you want to turn to that in your Bibles. We're going to look broadly at um, verses 22 through 40, um, and then we're going to settle into very specifically to a verse after that. But um, let me read for us uh, 22 through 40, so we kind of have that big picture, and it gives me time to get my head in the right place before I actually get into my notes. Um, So John 6, starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we've been, the the last few weeks, we've been doing a um, series of, of sermons that are inspired by um, Dane Ortland's book, um, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, the subtitle of that is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, and that's what this message is really for today, is, is sinners and sufferers. If you don't fit in that category, this message isn't for you. Fortunately, that's all of us in some land. Um, the particular chapter of the book that uh, Ortland takes inspiration from that I'm, I'm uh, kind of using is uh, is he, he's inspired himself by a book by John Bunyan that was written in 1678 which is called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ um, 
both are worth your time reading, though Bunyan, you have to deal with the hats and the, the vowels and that kind of stuff, but it's worth it. Um, so those, you say, are secondary sources today, which is my way of saying that I'm going to quote from them extensively. Um, our primary source, of course, is here in John 6. Um, and we're going to discover, we're going to concentrate, as Bunyan's book does, on verse 637, um, which is going to be our main, our main text this morning when we get there. Um, so previous to what I just read from uh, chapter 6 this morning, uh, we have the account of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and, and then Jesus, the disciples getting on a boat, Jesus walking on the water and getting there um, and crossing the sea to Capernaum. Um, and we find that, that some of those who were fed on the, on the other side of the sea followed Jesus across. And, and so we, then we, we picked up our, our verses in chapter 22 where it says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that, that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten, the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So the same crowd that was fed on the other side of the sea, they were seeking Jesus because they were seeking, as we'll discover, more bread, not really Jesus, or maybe more miraculous signs. Um, so when they found him on the other side of the sea, we read, they, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So we see here in Jesus' time um, and today, people begin to follow Jesus for many wrong reasons. Um, they followed him back across the sea for bread. Um, Bunyan says in his work, A man's belly will carry him a great way in religion. Yea, a man's belly will make him venture far for Christ. And we, today we see people who seek Christ, or they seem to seek Christ, for means to material blessings, and not necessarily food, but prosperity of, of some sort. Um, Christ, at his time and now, tries to redirect these people from the food that perishes, as he said, to the food that endures for eternal life, that being himself. The problem is that just as some worship the creation rather than the creator, um, this crowd has worship, was worshiping the provision rather than the provider. They do not see the salvation that Christ is offering. They see bread. They saw a miracle. Um, you might say they were looking for dinner and a show, but no more. So in verse 28, we pick up, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So here we see Jesus fed thousands with five barley loaves and two fish just on the other side of the sea just the day before but they still demand a sign from him and Jesus is again Jesus tells them they're seeking the wrong bread but 
John writes in chapter 12, verses 38, that though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So some will not believe. Um, We pick it up in verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So Jesus ultimately states the problem to them. You have seen me, and you yet do not believe. So after many signs and many words, uh, this, you would think that Jesus would be frustrated at this point. What do I have to say to these people? What do I have to do for these people to understand? But Jesus said, what he says next in verse 37 shows us that he has comfort in knowing the promises of God. And I hope that you, we, may also have comfort and assurance in these words as well. Because this is where we're going to park ourselves, so to speak, this morning. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So I've broken this down kind of into four parts. There's the giving, the coming, the receiving, and the keeping. So first we're going to look at the first half of this verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The giving and the coming, we're going to see, cannot be separated. Um, So first, all that the Father gives me. So we see from that, simply, it is the Father who gives. Ortland, in his book, rightly points out that our redemption is not a matter of a gracious son trying to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. The Father himself ordains our deliverance. He takes the loving initiative. So we see that it's not only the heart of Christ, it is the heart of God. Jesus said, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus states in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So it's the Father's will that he has sent. Um, Most of us know from a verse that we all pretty much know um, that it's the Father who sent the Son. John 3, 16 to 18 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through, might be saved through him. That's the giving. In the, the last part of that, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's the coming, which we're going to get to, and we're going to see that the coming cannot be separated from the believing, but I get ahead of myself. But... So the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, as we see in the text. The Father also gives the sinner to Christ to save him. Bunyan states it this way, those therefore intended as the gift in the text are those that are given by covenant to the Son. Those that in other places are called the elect, the chosen, the sheep, and the children of the promise, etc. These be they that the Father has given to Christ to keep them, 
those that Christ has promised eternal life unto, those to whom he has given his word, and that he will have with him in his kingdom to behold his glory. So Jesus refers to this gift we see in in, uh, John 17 several times. Uh, Here's two verses from that. That's his prayer before he went to the cross for his disciples and for us. In John 17, 2 through 3, Two through three, he says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then in 17.6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So we see... That God's sovereignty in salvation means that there exists a group of people who have been given by the Father to the Son, and that this group will inevitably come to the Son and be preserved by him. That God's actions, not man, are primary in salvation. God does the giving. In eternity past, God chose people not based on any merit of their own and gave them to, as a gift to his son. We see this by Paul in what he told the Ephesians um, that we were given before the foundation of the world. Ephesians and um, Daniel read some of this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, he did that. It's not a mechanical act. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we need to see in these words... The love of the Father for the believer in giving his Son for the forgiveness of our sins. And the love of the Father in giving us to the Son for our salvation. The Father in giving us to his Son and giving his Son also to be a ransom for us. Bunyan says this, Hence he is called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. For here, even the Father has himself found out and made way for his grace to come to us through the blood of his well-beloved Son. The Father, therefore, is to be remembered and adored as one having a chief hand in the salvation of sinners. So, with that, we should then join what Paul and what he told to the the Colossians in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, he said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father has given us to the Son. Here we see the love of God. Here we see the love that God has given to us in that he has given us to his son and also given his son for us. Ephesians 2, we read God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, I said earlier that the giving is linked to the coming, because Jesus tells us in 644 of this chapter, No one can come to me unless the Father has sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, our verse says that the Father, that all that the Father gives me will come to me. Will come to me. Ortland says, God's saving purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He is never frustrated. He never runs out of resources. If the Father calls us, we will come to Christ. All that the Father... All that he has given me also implies that everyone who has been chosen by the Father and has been given by the Father to the Son for salvation will in fact be saved. Um, verse 40 tells us that Jesus, and Jesus further explains that these people from whom the Father has given him are also those who believe in the Son and have eternal life. Verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So, as I said before, the coming is not separated from repentance and belief. The coming cannot be separated from repentance and belief. Um, John 3, 35 and 36 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, We've seen in verse 29 that we read, Jesus said to those who sought bread, he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And we also learned that they did not believe. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Bunyan points out that since coming and believing is all one, according to John 6.35, he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Then when we say that they shall come, it is as much as to say they shall believe, and consequently repent to the saving of the soul. Believing, coming, cannot be separated. Repentance and belief mark those coming to Christ. It marks those coming to Christ. Um, John Piper, in his new book, his new little book, Providence, Um, which you can add to the recommended reading list this morning. Um, Piper says this, being willing to come to Jesus is not something God finds in a group of some humans after he draws all. Rather, being willing to come to Jesus is something God puts in a group of humans, which means that God did not choose a group of humans as his own because he saw in them a willingness to come to Jesus. Whatever willingness humans have to come to Jesus is not the basis, but the result of belonging to the Father beforehand. Therefore, the Father does have a people before they come to Jesus, which he gives to Jesus. So the Father has given this people to the Son because he has not only given them but put in them a willingness to come, they will come. They are assured of coming. And we can find, at least I find, assurance in the very desire that he has put in our hearts to come, that it will be accomplished. The Spirit gives us a desire to come to Christ. My favorite verse on this is Ezekiel 36, 26-29. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, 
I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. So, whoever comes, our verse says, and whoever comes. Again, from gentle and lowly. Yet we are not robots, while the Father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption. We are not dragged kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. Divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. Our eyes are opened. Christ becomes beautiful. We come to him. So what is it to believe? What does it mean that we say that you have to believe? Say, believing we recognize that sin has separated us from God and that we are powerless to save ourselves from the judgment due our sin. Believing we recognize that salvation comes through Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty for our sins by his death on the cross and counted us, counted to us his righteousness. Then repenting, we turn away from sin and toward Christ. That, that is what it means to come to Christ right there. Believing, repenting, come to Christ. Orland points out, again, that the verse says, comes to me. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. So coming to Christ means desiring Christ and putting faith in Christ alone. Coming to Christ implies leaving something else. That is, we repent. We leave sin. We leave any idea of self-righteousness for Christ's righteousness. We leave works, good and bad, and come to grace and mercy and forgiveness. Come to the heart of Christ. Spurgeon says it this way. I have to have my my token Spurgeon quote, as you all know. Spurgeon said, Oh, my friends, if you, have ever, if you have ever come to God crying out for salvation and for salvation only, then you have come to God aright. Is that how we've come to God? Crying out for salvation and for salvation only. That's, how we, that's coming to God. We have to first recognize our sin, recognize the salvation that is there, and come for that. So repenting and believing are integral to our coming. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on this verse, he says, um, that all that the Father gives to Jesus as his gift to his Son will surely come to him. And whoever in fact comes by virtue of being given by the Father to the Son, Jesus undertakes to keep in, to preserve. Then we get to the second half of our verse. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So in order for something or someone to be driven out or cast out, they must already be in. I will never drive away, therefore means I will certainly keep in. If you are in, then you have been received. All that the Father gives come, and Christ receives them. If Christ then receives you, then he has given you what you have come to him for. That is salvation. Having given it, he does not retract it. 
he will never cast you out. When we come to Jesus, he receives us. John 1, 12, 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Bunyan makes the observation that they that are coming to Jesus Christ are oftentimes heartily afraid that Jesus Christ will not receive them. To those who are coming, there is the assurance that Jesus will receive them in whatever condition they are in. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required, first at conversion and a thousand times thereafter, until we are with him upon death. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, implies that people should never think, maybe I am not chosen by God, and therefore maybe Jesus will reject me when I come to him. Jesus promises to receive everyone who comes to him and trust him for salvation. So Bunyan again says, and I encourage, if you, it's worth going through the Hass and the Dallas to read this work from Bunyan, because it's like written from a, a pastor's heart of just pleading with those who are suffering and those that are coming. And you see a little bit of this here in this quote. Bunyan, Bunyan again says, suppose that one man had the sins or as many sins as a hundred, and another should have a hundred times as many as he Yet if they come, this word, I will in no wise cast out. That would be the old King James version of that. I will in no wise cast out, secures them both alike. Suppose a man is coming to Christ to be saved and has nothing but sin and an ill-spent life to bring with him. While let him come and welcome to Jesus Christ. And he will no wise cast him out. Is not this love that passes knowledge? Is not this love the wonderment of angels? And is not this love worthy of all acceptation at the hands and the hearts of coming sinners? Luke 15, um, Jesus tells a, a series of parables, including the one which we call the prodigal son. So in each parable, um, what was lost is found, and there is rejoicing and celebration in heaven. Um, in the prodigal son, the youngest son came to realize that he had sinned against heaven and his father. So he was no, he, in his mind, he was no longer worthy to be called a son. But he comes home anyway. And how did the father respond to the son coming home? We read in, in Luke 15:20. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion as he loved. He loved. That's what he felt. He felt loved. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. Some of you may be feeling that you are unacceptable to Christ because of what you have done or the circumstances of your life. Come to Christ. Repent and believe. Return home. Christ sees you coming. I thought crushed the communion cup on the floor. So I see you. Christ sees you coming, and he is running toward you with open arms. He will receive you, and heaven will rejoice. 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Those who come, who Christ receives, can do nothing that will cause Christ to cast them out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The NASB version says, certainly not cast out. The New King James version says, by no means cast out. Apparently, they told me in the Greek, the text literally means, the one coming to me, I will not not cast out. Or, I will most certainly never ever cast out. Jesus says in John 10, 27 to 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Piper says, The Father's giving us to Jesus secures our coming. All he gives come, and when we come, Jesus receives us forever. He will never cast us out. Instead of casting us out, he dies for us that we may live. Uh, again, gentle and lowly. Um, we're talking about something deeper than the doctrine of eternity, eternal security, or once saved, always saved. Many of you have recognized that in, in the text. Ortland says, a glorious doctrine, a true doctrine, sometimes called the perseverance of the saints. We are looking at something deeper, what Ortland calls the doctrine of the perseverance of the heart of Christ. Yes, professing Christians can fall away, proving that they never truly were in Christ. We see this in the preceding narrative of those who sought Jesus for food or entertainment. They, were, they did not believe they weren't in Christ. They were following, but they were not believers. We see this in the parable of the sower in, in Luke 8. You may be familiar with that. The seed that falls on the rock are, um, are those that fall away in times of testing. The seed that falls among thorns are those that are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. They are those that Jesus says of here in John 6 are working for the food that perishes. They have seen him but do not believe. Yet once a sinner is united to Christ, if they come, as in the Spurgeon's quote, begging for salvation from only Christ who can give it, there is nothing that can separate them. John 6 and 39, 40, as we read, then this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again from Bunyan. Bunyan says, nay, take all the promises in the Bible, all the freest promises with all the variety of expressions of what nature or extent soever, and they can but amount to the expressions of this very promise, I will in no wise cast out. I will for nothing, by no means, upon no account, however they have sinned, however they have backslidden, however they have provoked, cast out the coming sinner. And then Bunyan lists some ob objections and Though it was written in my mind, he gets cranked up a little bit when he's writing this. But anyway, I get cranked up when I'm reading it anyway. But I am a great sinner, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, sayest thou. 
I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring me, sayest thou. I will no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them, Bunyan says. Bunyan in his book is trying to drive home the message of what Christ is saying when he says, I will never cast out he is never giving up on those who the father has given him we say but I he says I will never cast out struggling worrying doubting fallen anxious we seem to have no limit in our ability to find reasons for Jesus to cast us out we resist Christ's love when we should embrace it But Jesus does not say those with perfect lives are never cast out. He says those who come to him are never cast out. It is not the circumstances that we find ourselves in or what we have accomplished or anything but God's mercy and grace that determines Christ's love for us. We no doubt on our own merits deserve to be cast out. But we do not need to fear If we are in Christ, he will never cast us out. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Paul drives this home for us pretty good. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul covered it. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He will never, ever cast you out. Piper, Piper in his book, again, summarizes in a, the Jesus teaching in the book of John um, with some verses, most of which we have read this morning. Um, and I think we have that on the, I think we have that Yes, we have. All right. So Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, we see in John 10, 14 to 15. The Father gave us to Jesus, we see in 17, 6. He drew us to him, 644. And we came to him, 637. 
He has kept us, 1712, and he will never cast us out, 637. No one can snatch us out of his hand, John 10, 28, 29, and he will raise us from the dead at the last day, 639. All that is because we belong to the Father who has given us to the Son who will never, ever cast us out. That is the heart of Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's as simple as this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you, praise the Father, for the the love that has been poured out for us, who we are find ourselves not only worthy of receiving or keeping, but Lord, by your grace and your mercy or love, we can stand secure in having been called by you to be kept by you for all eternity. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for those this morning that are, well, for both those that are in your love, Lord, firmly, that the assurance that they may know that they will be kept in your love. But all the more for those who may find themselves coming, Lord, that they may keep coming and keep coming, knowing that you are standing with open arms to receive and to love and to hold for all eternity. Lord, work in those hearts that they may be assured and keep coming. Lord, we praise you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.